Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you again this week. And uh, we're also delighted to welcome uh, North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein to the program. He's been with us several times before. And uh, we thought we would uh, talk about uh, a number of issues that are affecting uh, all of us across the state of North Carolina with the Attorney General. So uh, welcome to the program. Don, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We were talking before the program about uh, uh, some explanation, and we'll do this a little later in the program, about the differences uh, and the overlaps uh, between state and federal government, because uh, you run into that all the time. I do. But in the meantime, let's talk about some things that are a little bit more current. the uh, uh, I'm not picking these in any order of importance, but uh, anytime you have any kind of an emergency, you also have scams. Yeah, we do. And then we also have robocalls going on with scams and things. So let's talk a little bit about scams and, and uh, in particular, the telemarketing scams that are going on where uh, even on your cell phone, you're getting calls that are unwelcome and they, uh, they're, they're changing numbers to keep you from... Uh, or keep the consumer from knowing who's calling and so forth. What's the, what's the latest on that, and what's the solution to that? The um, We call that spoofing. Spoofing is where you get a call on your phone, and it looks like, because of the area code and, and the prefix, that it looks like it might be a family or you know just somebody you know. Um, and so you answer it, and it turns out it's somebody from far away trying to sell you something. Um these are incredibly harassing. I get multiple a day. Most people do. Uh, and clearly they violate our do not call law. But they're not only harassing, they're really dangerous because uh, criminals use this technology to scam people. I got, I got a call yesterday uh, from a, a friend who very successful. He was calling on behalf of a friend of his, a very successful business person in Charlotte, 82 years old. Um, so they try to target seniors and they use it's the um, grandparent scam. And what they do is he picks up the phone because it was spoofed to look like a phone number that he would recognize. Uh, and it was Johnny. Uh, hey, John, granddad, I'm in trouble. I need help. Can you send me money? And then the request was for the money to come in the form of gift cards. And when you look at it objectively, it just sounds absurd. And in fact, this man, once he did it, and unfortunately he did it three times and lost $11,000 to these criminals, uh, the second it clicked with him, he's like, I can't believe, believe. Yeah. I did this. Yeah. But when you're in the moment, what they yes. do is they get your heart rate up. Yeah. They get you nervous. They get you scared. And when you have that kind of fear, then your rational brain recedes and we do things we would never do in cold calculated logic so these are not only annoying they're really dangerous what can we do about it it's incredibly challenging because they do violate the law most of these folks live offshore so getting the reach of the law uh, to them is difficult my uh, i have convened a multi-state group of other state attorney generals who care about this uh, and we're 40 plus states strong and we are meeting with the major telecommunications companies. And they're concerned about it. They don't like it either. Yep. But here's what I believe. They can do more. Yeah. I'm convinced they can do more. I'm convinced that they care about it. But what they need to do is raise this up on their list of priorities about how quickly and how 
uh, aggressively, they're going to implement technological solutions because that's what it's going to take. We, the technology exists to block these calls, and we need the telecom industry to really step up uh, and address this issue. Well, you know, is there anything consumers can do to push them to do that? Yes, complain to them. Okay. Complain to their carriers. And carrier will come back and say, oh, there's something you can do where you go on to this web page and upload this. And that's just never going to be a solution. When you put steps on the consumers to, to implement, only a few percentage of consumers ultimately ever do that. Um, and so this needs to be built into the infrastructure, the technological infrastructure of the telephone companies. That requires an investment on their part, and uh, they, need to, they need to respond to their consumers. And what, what do you think the timetable is as far as when we might see some relief? Well, we're working with these guys, as I said. I'm hopeful that we'll have something to announce in the next couple months, uh, and hopefully by the end of this year into next year, we'll start seeing some improvements. I'm always getting calls uh, about my warranty on my car. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it implies that it's the dealer calling. Yep. And of course, it's not. Well, I always get calls about my PC computer, and I've been an Apple guy for a long time. So they're just, they're out. You'll get a call from Wells Fargo, and you're a, a Bank of America customer. They're just out there throwing seeds wherever they can to see where their uh, their criminal behavior takes root. And folks just need to be very, very suspicious. People from the IRS do not call you to ask for money. The district attorney does not call you and threaten you with arrest for failing to show up for jury duty. These things just don't happen. And if anybody ever gets a call where they don't know what to do, they're not sure if it's legit or wrong or or criminal, just call my office because my guys who work for me, they've heard it all. And they can tell them, well, actually, that's something you need to follow up on. Or they'll say that's a a standard crime, a a standard scheme. And we have a toll-free number for your listeners. It's 877-5-NO-SCAM. And just call and ask, and we'll be happy to try to help. 877-5-NO-SCAM. That's it. Okay. And uh, so what are the N-O-S-A-M numbers in case somebody wants to do it that way? Well, we'll have to look at a phone. Well, we've we'll... got Laura here. You're, okay. uh, 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 Laura can do that. Laura can help us. She'll yes. tell us in a minute. Uh, Lawrence, uh, Laura works with uh, the Attorney General and in his uh, public relations area, so she can do that. Fair enough. We're putting her to work, finally. <laughs> she works very hard for the state. Uh, also, you also when we have any kind of a natural emergency uh, or a natural disaster like the hurricane and the flooding conditions, you yeah. also have people who want to take advantage of that. It's terrible, and and that's uh, that's almost well. It, all these things are, are are basically sinful, but that's even worse. And again, they take advantage in many cases of elderly. Yeah, people who are really on their heels. You know, they they've got a tree in their roof or yeah. trees all over their yard, or their basement is flooded and they can't use their air conditioning uh, or heat. So they get people when they're desperate. Uh, one thing I want to I want to say before I really get into the the price gouging scams that we've seen is the vast majority of companies out there, particularly in these natural disasters, they're busting their tail trying to help. And yeah, they're providing services and they're getting paid, but they're also helping. Uh, just a store that's in the middle of a an ice storm. 
that opens their doors to sell people bread and milk. Like, that's a public service. And so we really should be grateful to all the companies that do things the right way. But there are always going to be some cockroaches that come out of the, the woodwork to try to take advantage of people. We've received over 900 complaints over two back-to-back hurricanes last year with Florence and Michael. Um, two uh, over 900 complaints of different types of price gouging. We've already filed six lawsuits. Uh, the majority of them have to do with tree removal, where the they'll either do a bait and switch or they'll misrepresent and say, "Hey, I'm here with the insurance company sent me," and so the the buyer thinks that whatever's yeah. approved, they don't negotiate the price, and then they, people are getting billed thirty thousand dollars for three trees. Mm. There was one person who was billed over thirty thousand dollars for one tree. It's just out and out fraud. Uh, so we're going to court putting an, a stop to these folks and uh, trying to do everything we can to get refunds for people who overpaid. One of the suggestions I heard that is uh, would seem to be very practical and easy to do is when someone comes, and if you have any doubt, ask a neighbor to come over and listen to the pitch. Mm-hmm. Because now you've got two people listening, and one is a little bit more objective at the time maybe than the other. In fact, I think that's a great idea, Don. Basically, when you're in any kind of consumer transaction, before you sign on the dotted line, bounce it off someone you trust. Yes. It could be a lawyer. It could be the folks in my office. It could be your neighbor. Just don't commit yourself to spending thousands of dollars uh, without having someone to uh, tell you whether they think that's a good idea or not. I would imagine if you ask a neighbor or someone to come and listen to the pitch, now there's a witness, and I suspect that would scare some of these scammers away right off the bat. That's I, just a guess. But, I think that's true. But uh, if you've got any doubt at all, ask someone else to listen to the pitch and, and give you their judgment. Or hear the pitch and then call my office yeah. and say, this is what they said. What do you think? Yeah. Well, uh, it's a shame that this goes on, but uh, and as you said, it, it, it is a minority, and uh, uh, and that's – that's that's also a shame because sometimes you doubt the people who are really being honest with you, and, and that's that's also a problem. But there, I think that even the honest ones would encourage people to have a little skepticism. Don't just assume everyone has good intentions because the sad truth is there are people out there who don't. Now, we see a lot of ads on TV about uh, being, uh, companies being able to wipe away your tax liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally... Um, they can't generally they don't do a better job than what you can do for yourself. Yeah. Uh, but what is clear is that some of these companies out there, and whether it's your IRS debt or it's your credit card debt or any other kind of debt, if they are saying, give me money in advance in order to help you with whatever your debt is, that's illegal in North Carolina. We actually have a really good law that says there's no advance payment for debt relief. And that's not the case in other states. And if somebody's doing that, you know, just from the get-go, yeah. you know yeah. they're breaking the law. And they're not out for your interest. They're out to line their own pocket. So asking for advance payment is, is, is no-go. Another signal to call 8775-NO-SCAM. Correct. <laughs> and see what you can do about that thing. Well, it, it's, a, it's a shame these things are going on, and it's a particularly uh, uh, disheartening to know that in many cases they're targeting the elderly, which... Uh, uh, sometimes these folks just don't have one to turn to, so it's a, it's a shame. Our, our guest is uh, Attorney General Josh Stein, Stein, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. 
the entire world watched. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And humanity saw that the sky was not the limit. Achievement, pass it on, from the foundation for a better life. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Attorney General Josh Stein is our guest. He's the Attorney General of North Carolina. North Carolina's 50th Attorney General. How Which did you is get kind of cool. Yeah, how did you get to be even Stephen 50? I mean, just, just the luck of the draw, I guess. Uh, it, it was all planned out. Well, I see. And, of course, you went into office on, uh, uh, on uh, 2017. Um, the... Uh, the Attorney General of North Carolina, what is your major focus? Well, my major focus, the sort of thread that connects all the various things that we do at the Department of Justice, is about keeping people safe, protecting the people of North Carolina. Uh, we do that in a lot of different ways. We protect families by fighting crime, and we do that in a lot of different ways. We're the lawyers for the state, which means that if the um, there's a criminal uh, conviction, and the defendant appeals that conviction to the Court of Appeals or ultimately the Supreme Court, my office handles every criminal appeal in the state. The state crime lab is under the Department of Justice. So whenever there's any crime scene evidence that needs analysis, we do that work. The Justice Academy uh, is under the Department of Justice. So we train thousands and thousands of law enforcement uh, every year. And so we do a lot of work in criminal justice. Um, one of the criminal justice issues I've spent a ton of time on uh, is the opioid epidemic, which we may talk about in a minute. Well, let's but, talk about that now, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, other things that we do to protect folks is protecting consumers from scam artists, which we've just talked about. We protect taxpayers. We go after tax cheats and health care providers defrauding the Medicaid system. We protect the natural resources of North Carolina, our environment, so that people have clean water and clean air. So there's a lot of work we do, but it's all focused around protecting the, the people of our state. We have a particular crisis, and you just mentioned it, that is a focus right now. Yeah. Uh, opioid. What, this, is a, this is something that just seems like it shouldn't have happened, <laughs> but it has happened, and now we've got to deal with it, and it's serious. It is very serious, uh, and it has been my top policy priority over these past two years I've been in office Basically, a couple of things happened in the 1990s uh, that converged to lay the groundwork for this crisis. One was the pharmaceutical companies were out there representing to the medical world, opioids are the most effective way for treating pain and they are not addictive. And it turns out actually that neither of those things are true. Uh, the second was a, socio a sociological phenomenon where as a society, we were saying, we don't want pain. It wasn't about managing pain. It was about eliminating pain. And hospitals and doctors were actually evaluated based on the fifth vital sign. How effectively did they treat pain? And that created uh, those two forces led the healthcare world to start prescribing opioids at a level that's unlike anything else in the world. We, we prescribe on average 10 times more pills per capita than do than happens in Japan, and five times more per capita than Europe. And we don't have five to ten times more pain. Uh, but over the first decade of the um, 21st century, what we saw was it just a, a straight line up in terms of overprescription that was matched one-to-one -one 
with an increase in overdose deaths. So overprescription led to overdose. There's been a slight change in what's been going on these last couple of years because there's starting to be a flattening and, and, and bending of the curve of overprescribing. It's going to be less, but the overdose deaths are actually spiking. And what's happened is, is there's so many millions of Americans who are now addicted to these pills, they can't get them on from the doctor or on the street anymore. They're too expensive. So they're buying heroin, which is laced with fentanyl, uh, uh, insanely dangerous drug, and that's killing people at an alarming rate. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, we're in the advertising business, and but it bothers me that uh, there's advertising for uh, medicines, uh, and so it puts the doctor on the spot when someone goes in and says, I saw an ad about this, and I've got this condition, and I want you to write me a prescription for this. Now, the, the doctor is kind of on the spot at that point in time. It, it puts pressure on them, and, and particularly when you have a, a patient who is in pain, and they are – because pain is legitimate. Yes, yeah. And pain needs to be treated. And, in fact, under-treating pain leads to addiction just like over-treating pain does because if, if the health care world doesn't treat people who have pain properly, people will go to the street and treat themselves. They will find drugs to make themselves uh, feel better. And so we have to adequately treat pain. The United States is one of two nations in the world – United States and New Zealand that allows drug companies to advertise directly to consumers. Uh, it was a case by the Supreme Court. Uh, I think that it has resulted in a, a dramatic increase in healthcare inflation, um, but it also ends up driving uh, patients to make demands of doctors that puts them in awkward positions. Uh, I, I don't think advertising for pharmaceutical drugs should be tax deductible. If they're going to be able to do it, they shouldn't be able to get a, a tax incentive to do it well it it, it does uh put pressure on the doctor because the of course you know they have all sorts of disclaimers but you know in many cases the disclaimers are such a laundry list you say well that could happen to aspirin i mean you know and so that uh that doesn't really deter someone for asking for something because you say well i've got this problem and yes all these things could happen but they're not likely to happen well, i mean there's nothing more i like better than walking on the beach holding my wife's hand in the sunset and if i take a pill and that's what I, my life's going to be like i'm going to take that pill yeah. and that's what the advertising does now the question is does your wife like walking on the i beach don't know i have to ask her we we haven't asked about that but we we can get to that on another program Fair enough. But but, uh, but advertising, you know, there's a great responsibility uh, for those who sell advertising. And I'm, I'm not sure that we have taken that one as seriously as we should, because uh, we we are in the advertising business and we are in an economy that it should be basically free. But uh, there are some times where you look at it and say, I'm just not sure that's in. Uh, you know, uh, we don't sell fortune-telling advertising, for example. We make a choice not to do that. Well, we could make a choice not to sell uh, prescription medicine. And I think these drug companies should agree not to advertise the opioids because uh, that has been a driving factor in uh, vast amounts of death and despair. You mentioned a, a few moments ago tax cheats. You know, one of the other interesting things about people, we not always like to pay taxes, and so we want to pay as few taxes as we can. But sometimes we have sympathy for someone who has taken advantage of the tax law in such a sense that uh, they become a tax cheat. We don't realize the rest of us are paying for that. There's no question. I mean, when tax cheats don't pay their fair share, it means 
all of the rest of us have to pay more than ours. And that is not right. It's not acceptable. It's not legal. And that's why I aggressively enforce those laws. We have the same thing with shoplifting. I mean, people, for some reason or other, don't turn in shoplifters when they see it. And they should because they really, wait a minute, you're going to pay for that. Yes. That's going to be added to the cost of the merchandise because somebody has to pay for it. And it's the exact same thing with health insurance. People uh, who are hostile to expanding Medicaid say, well, you know, these people, they don't need, if they can't afford it, they shouldn't get health insurance or health care. Well, if they have an incident, they're going to go to the emergency room. They're going to, the law requires that they get treated appropriately. those costs have to be borne by yeah. somebody. So you know who pays it? Yes. You and I do. Yes. We, because our insurance companies end up having to pay more to cover people who don't have insurance, which is incredibly inefficient uh, and ultimately more expensive on you and me. Well, it's the same thing on insurance settlements. Insurance is a very legitimate business and a very uh, legitimate concern. But when someone takes advantage of an insurance settlement, whether it's a property and casualty or some other problem, uh, the rest of us pay for that in higher rates, and you know, it, you you ought to pull. I mean, that's exactly the purpose of insurance is to cover accidents. Correct. But uh, when the uh, when someone takes advantage of it, uh, then the rest of us pay for it. Now, a new problem that's come up, I guess, in the last fifteen years, but more recently, maybe the last five years, is data breaches. Yes. Because now we've got so much information in the cloud and available, and so we have data breaches. What what, what do we do about that? Well, it's very troubling, and this is a an increasing problem, uh, and it's partly a function of, of technology, as you said. People have been stealing folks' personal information uh, in order to commit identity theft for 15, 20 years. I mean, it's been a, a crime, but there's a difference between going through people's trash one by one and trying to find an old bank statement or an old tax return than it is to just go to Equifax breach their computer system, and steal the most sensitive personal information of 148 million Americans, more than 5 million North Carolinians, which is two out of every three adults in this state, were compromised by this Equifax security breach. Name, address, social security number, everything that's important. So uh, what my office does is we put out a report every year of the number of security breaches and the number of people affected and the way in which the breach occurred. Uh, and for two years in a row, we've had more than a thousand breaches reported to our office, affecting millions of, of North Carolinians. Uh, and unfortunately, the increasingly common way it's happening is hacking. And that's where the criminals breach the database. And I hate to tell you, but my accountant's offices were hacked and somebody got my information and actually filed tax returns in my name claiming my refund. Um, so I've, I've been a victim of identity theft. Um, so what we're doing about it? I think I'd choose someone else if I was going to do this. I think I'd choose to hack somebody else other than the attorney general. That, that's not really good judgment on their part. But anyway, so much for that. It's so much. But... So what are we doing about it? Uh, what I um, did is I looked at I, I did a hard read of North Carolina's laws, and we've actually got good laws when it comes to identity theft protection. But what became clear is they can be better. Uh, we were one of the first states to really attack this issue back in 2005, um, because we were first. There have been some developments since that we need to um, update our laws with, and I'm, I'm partnering with Representative Jason Sane from Lincoln County, and we just announced last week we're going to reintroduce a bill 
called an act to strengthen North Carolina's identity theft protections. Uh, and it will do impose requirements on government and business to better safeguard our information. And when these breaches occur, to give us more information quicker and better tools to protect ourselves. Because when the breach occurs, we need to know it so we can lock down our credit with a security freeze, which is free in North Carolina. Uh, and that way, criminals can no longer take out credit in our name. You mentioned earlier in the program that uh, one of the areas that uh, uh, falls under the office of the attorney general is the area of the crime labs and the people assisting our law enforcement people. Uh, a number of years ago, there was, uh, uh, for the last, I guess, four or five years, there's been some concern that North Carolina is behind in that area. And I know there's been some effort to bring it up to date. Where do we stand on that? Is, are our crime labs uh, up to date? Do we have the proper uh, uh, methods to do the DNA uh, testing and so forth that we need? We, we are in a very strong position today. And I, I want to commend the General Assembly and I want to commend uh, Governor Cooper for when he was Attorney General. There were problems 20 years ago in terms of the science at the lab. Um, what has been done in the intervening years is the lab is internationally accredited, and it gets an incredible scrutiny to get that accreditation. So it meets all standards. Every scientist is now certified in the discipline in which they work uh, so that all of these scientists are top-notch. Uh, the issue probably five years ago wasn't the quality of the lab, it was the capacity of the lab to do the work that law enforcement needed uh, in a timely enough fashion because the criminal justice depends on a speedy disposition. That's in the interest of the state, but it's also in the interest of the criminal defendant who has this charge hanging over his or her head and they need, to, they need their day in court. So the legislature put in some more resources uh, to help address this. And we're driving the amount of time it takes to get evidence back to law enforcement down so that it's, it takes less time. Um, but there's always more we can do. And we're not satisfied with where we are, and we're continuing to do everything we can and to, and to seek additional resources from the legislature to help us continue this uh, encouraging trend. Uh, there, there, there's a backlog of sexual assault kits that you're concerned about. Very much. This, this is something that, uh, again, we work with the legislature on where we ask them to authorize us to do an inventory, essentially a count. How many of these sexual assault kits are there on the shelves of local law enforcement? Because we have no way of knowing. There was never, uh, there's never a tracking system or an inventory system. And so we did a count where we went to every law enforcement agency in, in the state and we learned the alarming fact that there were approximately 15,000 of these kits just sitting on the shelves of law enforcement, some of them decades old. So I made a recommendation to the legislature with three parts. One was we need to have a tracking system so that this never happens again, where we don't know how many kits there are. And in fact, not only does the prosecutor and the law enforcement and the crime lab need to be able to know where the kit is at all times, but the victim deserves to know where his or her kit is at all times. And now they can, because last year the legislature actually authorized us to create this system, and we've implemented it effective last October 1st. Second recommendation I made was on a going forward basis, all kits should just be submitted to us for testing so that they don't accrue more in the future. Uh, that's a bill I'm bringing to the legislature this year. And then the third is for these thousands and thousands of kits, 
uh, they deserve, the victims deserve to have those tested. And so we want to outsource them to labs. Uh, and that it's that's a function of money. Uh, I asked the legislature for money last year. We did not get any. Uh, I'm going to go back to the legislature this year and ask for money. I, I'm hopeful that we will. In the meantime, we're we're scrounging. We, we've gotten a two million dollar grant from the U.S. Department of Justice to give us funds to start outsourcing these kits. Well, that uh, like you said, anything that backlogs holds up the whole system. It and, does, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, everyone does deserve their. A day in court, whether they are prosecuting or defending. Uh, Attorney General Josh Stein, thank you so much for being with us and sharing these thoughts. And uh, we, uh, again, remind folks, 8775-NO-SCAM is the number to call if you feel like you've got some problems uh, with uh, people who are trying to take your money illegally. The program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same Greg station. So the next week, same time, have a nice week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.